Now, when it comes to actually looking at the elements of your preparedness to engage the evil one, although the model of armoring is being used and, and that intentionally, it is only symbolic. Every reference here is a symbolic reference, which means there is no actual, you, you can't see the armor that's being put on you. So when he defines operating in the power and might of the Lord and uses these pieces of classic armoring as set pieces for this focus, it is intrinsically spiritual in its application. Now, it strikes me that, you know, on one hand, we would talk about spiritual warfare, and on the other hand, we would not understand by definition the, the components of the armoring are symbolic of an invisible warfare. Because we haven't really looked at it, as thoroughly as we should, we are very skimpy, very uh, unsubstantial in the way we understand how the power of God and how the might of the Lord is being uh, employed against the enemy when we talk about spiritual warfare. As I said, you know, we have silly notions like walking around cities and uh, doing Jericho marches and uh, you know, pulling down strongholds by going and standing in places and praying. That's just nonsense. I mean, th think about it. This has been advocated now for decades, praying through the 1040 window, uh, doing Jericho marches, standing in places, in exotic places far away, praying to pull down strongholds. What has actually been accomplished? And who knows, I mean, how do you measure that? And yet, you know, people with the means to do it and the desire to do it fill their time with that. And it's nothing more than silly nonsense, entirely ineffective. But, you know, the emperor has no clothes on, but woe to the person who tells the emperor he doesn't have any clothes. We have lots and lots of people who have difficulty staying at home, difficulty with the disciplines of uh, taking every thought captive and measuring it by the standard of the truth. It's infinitely easier to go on, a, on adventure. These are all the kinds of foolish things that culminated recently in a, in a bizarre showing of nationalism. It's what it's led the church to. In the absence of the daily disciplines of living and the embrace of these more exotic forms, people have avoided the hard, difficult reality of what spiritual warfare actually is. 
And of course, all manner of prayers have been uh, concocted to ward off spirits. And, and I'm hard pressed to think of any of it that actually works. And yet there are conferences, when, they, when, when people could go to conferences, um, it filled up people's calendar. So let's actually talk about spiritual warfare in an effective fashion. What is it? Well, again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, so right away we know we are in the realm of the demonic. We're in the realm of, as was described uh, both in uh, in the Isaiah passage referring to Jesus and here again in Ephesians 6 as a warfare against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual forces of evil ensconced in the second heavens. Now, a principality is not the same as a prince. A principality is an area of rule over which a prince rules. So the principality and the prince are different things. The principality is the area, the prince is the ruler. We talk, for example, the principality of Monaco, uh, a dot on the map in the Mediterranean and over it the Garibaldi family has ruled as princes. Prince Rainier married um, the actress Grace Kelly all those years ago and made her um, the princess and she was Princess Grace along with her husband Prince Rainier. They ruled the Principality of Monaco. So, you routinely hear people conflate principality with prince. It's important to understand that certain demonic spirits rule over certain areas. For example, the prince of Persia was thrown down by the archangel Michael as recorded in Daniel, the 8th chapter. Daniel was told that the prince of Persia opposed Gabriel who was bringing a message to Daniel as soon as Daniel began to pray. And having been deposed, when he returned the prince of Greece would come. And we know that in history the Alexander the Great the prince of Greece, overthrew Darius II of Persia. So things that happen in the heavens affect things that affect history, frankly, upon the earth. Now, for the most part, we ourselves, personally, will not be engaged with demonic princes, and will not be engaged with these major figures. 
but we will be engaged with the deception that has been spread over the whole earth since the days of Adam and Eve and each of us will be engaged in some fashion with the cosmos, this orderly arrangement of systems by which the demonic establishes hegemony over the thoughts of mankind and produces on the earth uh, the evidence of demonic rule. One of the first things to note is that when you are, when you have become a believer, that God has, quote, translated you, removed you, and put you from one domain into another. So salvation is not about going to heaven when you die, Uh, salvation initially is about removal from the domain and rule of one prince and brought under the rule and the dominion of another prince. So God has translated us, picked us up out of and set us down into. So we're picked up out of the domain of darkness and we're set down into the kingdom of God under the rule of the Son of God. We exited the rule of Satan, this construct of systems that entrapped the lust of the soul and predisposed our behavior and we now have a renewing of our mind as we are set down in the kingdom of God where everything is different. This war, however, continues because our souls, until we have been translated, began to experience a reality associated with the kingdom of darkness. And so even when we've been translated into the kingdom of God, these old mindsets need to be renewed, which is precisely what Paul was telling us in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 2 through 8, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the overthrow of these strongholds. So there are two aspects to this spiritual warfare. Number one, it is eradicating the mindset of of the kingdom of darkness where we once were uh, held captive over time to eradicate it altogether from the control of the soul. And the other is to judge everything from the viewpoint of the kingdom of God whenever we encounter the kingdom of darkness. Each of us will be given certain measures of rule and the requirements of spiritual warfare where we are concerned has to do with the measure of rule that we've been given. So if what typically happens is persons go and they hear these messages on spiritual warfare about walking around cities and so on and they get a vision to go walk around a city. You know, a group of people are going to go somewhere, uh, they're going to go to some city in Asia or Europe or whatever or, or, or Washington DC 
to go walk around and pray. The first question is, is that your measure? Because you can afford the ticket to go and the hotel stay, does that mean you have a measure that requires you to go there? We also see something equally foolish. We send young people off to places where demonic control has been established for generations and we hope that these young people, armed with a two-week course in cross-cultural orientation, are actually going to make a difference? We're lucky, frankly, if they make it out alive and it's only the grace of God that has protected the innocent from these reckless assignments that have nothing to do with advancing the, king, advancing the Kingdom of God and has everything to do with just stirring up the demonic in those places and most of the time the demonic simply ignores them, but on occasion, on occasion uh, there will be a serious backlash. I know young people, I know personally young people who had serious mental struggles and, and um, took them years to recover and find their footing after these dangerous misadventures to which they're entirely unprepared. This is not spiritual warfare. You know, there's not one solitary example in Scripture of advancing the Kingdom of God by going and walking around any place. An entire nation was instructed to walk around the city of Jericho and to blow, and the priest was supposed to blow on trumpets of ram's horn, and then the city physically fell flat. Now, God had given them this inheritance, and it was the first city to be encountered on their journey to taking their inheritance. To make that a template, for spiritual warfare, going walking around cities, is bogus and foolish. If this were a pattern to be followed, there'd be an example in the New Testament. There isn't, because it is not a pattern. It's not even related to spiritual warfare. Now, by the way, if that's the way it worked, why did they not do that around every city? Went up to the second city called Ai, Ai, and the hordes of people came pouring out of the city and killed 36 of their soldiers. And Joshua inquired of the Lord as to why this was so and was told that there was sin in the camp. And I won't go down. I won't go down that road to explain it any further. But the point, if it worked in Jericho, why don't you just do it in every other city? And why didn't it work if in the second city they went up to attack? In fact, they were not given a repeat order to do that. Anyway, the point is, is well established. How then are we to engage 
the elements of this warfare, knowing and understanding that the references are intrinsically metaphorical. Well, let's take the first example where it says here, Ephesians 6 verse 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armour of God. In other words, once you understand what it is, it's one integrated whole. It will overlap in various ways that you may be able to withstand, and I talked about that yesterday, withstand is anti-histemi, so the enemy stands up against you, you stand up against the enemy, to withstand, which is in fact uh, a synonym of the word nikeo, Nike, we get the, the, the swoosh, the English word Nike from that, and it means uh, to prevail mightily against. Right, and numerous passages uh, to that effect, Romans 3, 4, John 16, 33, Revelation 3, 21, and so on and so forth. So there's a withstanding, and, and that withstanding is in the evil day. There are appointed times. There are days that are evil. Every day of your life is not an evil day. In fact, on many days of your life, there's sunshine and butterflies and roses and so on. But then there are days that are profoundly evil. There are days when you are truly under attack. Now, everything that happens to you is not an attack. Charismatics have made a broken fingernail an attack. No. By now you should note how to distinguish between simple adversities or simple discomforts in life and true opposition. True opposition. True opposition mainly takes place against your mind. It's mostly a war of the mind. Some physical circumstances will develop that will trigger this mental confusion and your role is to go through it applying the standards of the truth that you've come to know so that you may own the truth at the other side of it. Now none of these trials will be greater than you can undertake. And each of these trials is exactly what you need at the time because it is through the trials, through many trials, that you enter the state of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If there are no trials, you will not grow up. And when the trials come, even though Satan is the agent and the instigator of these trials, you must understand that where the Lord is concerned, He continues to, uh, to hold sway and to, uh, uh, to establish both the trials and the possibilities of the outcome and, it, and He means for you to go through these things in order to overthrow 
things that are yet to be conquered in your life. These are what the evil days bring. Evil days are when God chooses to allow the enemy to bring a certain set of trials into your life to expose to you things that are hidden that you would not otherwise know about. The purpose of trials is to expose unhealed, hidden things in you. God allows them and even though they are evil days, what God allows is for your good. No trial at the time is pleasant but painful, but when it is done, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. So evil days are also training days. You do not know what remains hidden in you, but God does. The fact that there remain things hidden in you should never be interpreted as you not having overcome. God doesn't allow you to deal with the ultimate and deep things in your life until you have a history of overcoming, until you have a history of trusting God. When you have progressed continuously in that fashion, God will allow the enemy to come and, he will, and create circumstances and he will, the enemy will stir up emotions in your soul and now you must bring the standards that you have come to know, the standards that have been formed in you from previous trials, standards of what's true and bring these thoughts into captivity, make these thoughts the captive of the truth. So you have, you, you have a duty to yourself to employ in a continual way the truth you know, but the impediment is that it sneaks up on you from the inside so it appears that you are under this attack and you are likely to interpret this attack in, if, in an unfavorable fashion. And if you do that, you're misapplying the truth that you know and Satan will have his day with you in an evil day. When you find out how deeply this thing is in you, don't keep trying to cover it up. Don't keep trying to, uh, to excuse it because what God does in an evil day is to bring to the surface a hidden danger that you're in. Now it may arise within certain circumstances, but the circumstances do not, are not the basis of the problem. The basis of the problem lies beneath that 
And so when the problem arises, understand that even though it arises within a particular circumstance, it is a more general condition to which you have been subject. Evil days are terrible days, but in the evil day, it's not a day when you take ground. Evil day, an evil day is a day wherein you stand. That's not a day for leaping forward and overcoming. It's a day when you stand against. And now, this is critically important. When you stand against in the truth, the antihistamine, that's actually overcoming. Because the truth in you cannot be pushed back. No matter what the enemy says to you, if in that day you bring out the truth, stand in it, the truth pushes back. It's the antihistamine and the description of that pushing back of the truth against the enemy is described as mighty and prevailing. It may not feel that way, more likely you'll feel like you're in a battle. But again, spiritual warfare is a a matter conducted between spirit and spirit over the territory of the soul. So the soul may not feel empowered, the soul may not feel that it has overcome, but you will know that it has overcome when the same issue arises again and now your response is totally different. What accounted for the change? The fact that you stood up antihistamine and pushback in that day, the very day when you didn't feel like you took any ground. But in the future, it becomes new territory for you, territory you've conquered and territory that now you may rule over and may help others. This is key. Often what you go through is not just for yourself. Sometimes you go through things that have really very little to do with you. Has a lot to do with training others who come under your rule by the measures of success that you yourself have gotten. So the scriptures say we comfort others with the comfort we receive from the Lord in our day of trouble. That's why he says then, as the first instance, stand therefore having your waist girded with the truth. Now in, uh, so part two would be your waist girded with the truth. I want to begin right there when we come back and we'll pursue what that means. In anticipation of that, I will remind you of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verse 3 which says, gird up the loins of your mind. And what does that mean? We'll pursue that when we come back. I'm Sam Solon. We'll continue then. Bye-bye.